0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We eagerly wait with anticipation for the return of Jesus, when He will make everything wrong, right. In a way, He's always reigned over all things, but on the other hand, His saving grace has received pushback and rejection from the evil of this world. Join us in our new series, Thy Kingdom Come, His Reign in Our Lives. Where we'll learn what the reign of Jesus truly means for us believers and how we, as the body of Christ, can continue spreading his name until he returns. Have you ever experienced? Creation in chaos. That's the way I'll put it. Creation run amok. Creation in utter chaos. I, I was just cataloging and thinking through the experiences of my life yesterday a little bit about where I've seen and been in that space where some natural phenomenon has has come upon me and my life, and I thought this could really, really go bad. Uh, one time I thought about uh, the night that I spent in a tent uh, somewhere near Dallas, Texas on a ranch while a, a thunderstorm the size of Texas descended upon me. I, it's true, everything is bigger in Texas, this is what they say, and this thunderstorm, possibly a tornado, I never had real confirmation on that, but t- possibly a tornado roared nearby and, and shook me to the core I've never experienced a thunderstorm that big before in my life. And if you're just in a little vinyl tent, you know, you're, everything is coming through, right? I've been in hailstorms where, where there's been hail the size of golf balls that haven't just dropped for, for seconds or a few minutes, but it seemed like 20 minutes plus of hail just descending upon my house, my vehicle, my neighbors, our entire community as well, doing millions of dollars of damage to us. And I'm wondering, what is going on with this? I've been in the midst of, of violent wind storms. I, I think I told you a few weeks ago about, about Ethan and I being out on the ocean in Hawaii and, and the wind just pushing us out and going, what is happening? We've seen wildfires on the hills of, of Northern California descending down. It felt like right upon our house. I've stood on volcano, vol- volcanic craters and watched as, as there's been an eruption and smoke and ash tossed up into the air, and, and I'm running down the mountain screaming, thinking my life is over and I'm about to die. This is the end for sure. And and I'm sure as many of us have experienced before living in Michigan, we've had those moments where we've been uh, in the midst of a a winter blizzard, a whiteout, and you're driving along and and the car is fishtailing back and forth and, and you're just terrified, gripping the wheel just as hard as you can, hoping that your car doesn't slide off into the ditch and down a ravine and into trouble all the more. When we, when we experience those things, it makes me wonder often, how am I still among the living? Like, how is it possible that I keep kind of dodging some of these natural bullets that seem to keep me flying my way? I've seen creation in chaos, in nature, quite a few times. But creation in chaos doesn't just happen in the natural world. We see creation in chaos when the affairs of humanity, the creation itself, us, Go utterly awry. I mean, just we look at the internet, you open up your web browser today and read the the headlines of the stories of, of this last week, and you realize just how much chaos the world is in. There's a war in Ukraine and Russia that's been going on for over a year now. And then we read yesterday about the attacks of Hamas on Israel and the and the destruction and violence that's going on there. And, and the media hasn't portrayed too much, uh, as it were, about the, the atrocities and the violence that are happening in Africa, in Sudan, uh, at this very moment. Just those headlines themselves indicate to us, creation, creatures, we're in chaos. And, and then you descend, you get a little closer to home, to our, our nation, and you experience and you see the political chaos that's going on, even this last week in the House of Representatives and, and in our political order in, in the United States. We, we, we feel, we experience, some of you are navigating through the economic trials and moment of, of the UAW strikes against the, the big three, and, and you're feeling it as well, and we see and experience this creation in chaos. And maybe you dial it down just a little bit more closely into your own life, take it down to the personal level, and, and we can't escape it. Because we're creatures, we feel the chaos regularly. Relationships. Long relationships, they go sour, and they break, and conflict abounds, and it hits our lives hard. And there's, there's violence in our in our neighborhoods, and violence in our schools, and violence in our communities, and we, we feel again creation and chaos. And there's health issues, and diagnoses of, of illnesses that are sudden and surprising, and once again, because of those illnesses and the, the sudden nature of them and the, the the pain of them, we sense that creation is in chaos. Now, all these things, I mean, you just mount it up and stack it up one upon another. It could cause us to raise our hands to the heavens and, and wonder what is going on in this world. Is anybody in control? Is anything good going to happen? And then our hearts begin to ask the big question towards God. And we begin to look at Him and say, do you even care? Are, are you even just remotely interested in? One of these big things that's happening in our lives, in our world. Are you really able to handle, we say to God, are you really able to handle the chaos that swirls around our lives? I imagine you might feel that way this morning. We're in the series in Mark chapter 3 through 5 called Thy Kingdom Come, and Mark here in this gospel, and particularly this section, he is writing about the kingdom and authority of Jesus. But, he, but he's doing it in a unique way. He is, he is trying to get us to think about and answer the most important question, I think, that any human being can and has to answer, and that question is, who is Jesus? So he's been building this case story by story, teaching by teaching, about the authority and the power and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Our lives depend on how we will answer the question, who do you believe Jesus is? And so Mark is is tossing these issues and these stories at us, chapter by chapter, moment by moment, for us to to weigh it out, to consider and think, and it's the question I would ask you again today, who do you believe Jesus to be? Well, in chapters 3 and 4, Mark has, has really shown us Jesus through his teaching, claiming to be the king, demonstrating his authority through his teaching, and in contrast to what others are saying about him. But here at the end of chapter 4 and then through chapter 5, so, so over the next three Sundays, this one included, Mark takes us to issues. He takes us to events, and he says, I don't want to just tell you about how Jesus taught about his authority. I want you to see it lived out. I want you to, to experience his authority over everything in life because that will be the thing that forces you to make the decision." If you're honest with yourself and with what is here in Scripture, you're going to have to wrestle with that question of who Jesus is, particularly who he is in your life. Jesus in these stories deals with the chaos of the world, and they demonstrate Jesus' rule and reign over all things. And so, the, the point, the clear point of our passage this morning, what I just read for us, is this that Jesus reigns over creation. Where we feel the chaos in creation and and the turmoil and the anxiety of all of that, we have to come and see that Jesus rules and reigns over everything that he has made. He reigns over creation. This is a familiar passage for us. I think in the last four years, this will be the third time I've preached on it. The first time I preached on it was via video the first Sunday that everybody was locked down from covid so it's familiar to come back to and to see. We, we perhaps know this passage well, but it's worth looking at once again. It's worth looking at this story through the perspective of Jesus' own actions. We, we need to take a look at Him and see who He is because when creation is in chaos, we, we have to ask the question, and this is what the passage is going to help us answer. We have to ask the question, how does Jesus respond to our anxiety-ridden circumstances? When everything is in chaos nature is waging war against us, the world around us, our our homes, our lives, when it's all just a mess, we have to look to Jesus and ask him, how will he respond to our anxiety-ridden circumstances? How does Jesus address you and me when we're filled with worry and fear and trembling and anxiety? Well, let's look at this story. Let's look at this passage and just dive in together. First of all, the chaos of creation and our anxiety-ridden circumstances, I want us to see they do not create turmoil and chaos within Jesus' own heart. In fact, Jesus remains calm and at peace in the chaos of all creation. Jesus remains calm and at peace in the midst of creation's chaos. Now, notice what Mark tells us about Jesus. He says, on that day, and that's just a, that's an interesting note there because we have to figure out what, what day is he talking about. Jesus has had a day of days in ministry. I, I want to trace back. When does, this, when does Mark indicate this day probably starts? And it seems to me that it starts back in Mark chapter 2, verse 23. And Mark tells us there that it's a Sabbath day. So it's a day intended for rest and for worship and for the people of God in Jesus' day to gather together and to be at peace but that day for Jesus is not that day of rest and peace. It is a day full of ministry, it's a day full of chaos. I mean, right out of the gate, he's being challenged in his authority. He begins to teach, and people are beginning to, to wonder, is it right for him to teach on the Sabbath? He's in the synagogues, and then he's calling the disciples to them to himself and teaching and equipping them. Crowds grow up. The religious leaders come and accuse him of being a devil. People doubt him. It's just it's a massive day of work and ministry, of healing. He preaches on that day, the largest crowd he probably ever preached. He, he gets to the point where he's at the Sea of Galilee, and there in front of him is this massive, great crowd and it's so great he's like let's hop in the boat and he's going to teach from the boat to this amphitheater of people there in front of him and that's where we read about the parables that Jesus had issued about the kingdom of God last week but it's just been a full day of teaching of ministry of caring for and being drawn upon as the king even though it was a day of rest A day of rest that didn't happen for Jesus so Mark finally says, that day, on that day, when evening comes, Jesus says to his disciples, let's go across to the other side. They're already in the boat. They're ready to depart. And Jesus is like, okay, my message is done. My teaching is concluded. We've got to get away from here. There's just too much. Let's go away to the other side, to the, to the Gentile region uh, across the sea. And so they left. And I, I love this note as leaving the crowd, it says that they took him with them in the boat just as he was. I mean, Jesus, he's not like, hey, guys, let me hop on shore. Let's get some food and supplies. You know, let's, let's just take a little break there, get some coffee, and then we'll, we'll, you know, I'll get a shower and we'll pack up and hit the road uh, in right time. He just expended everything he's got and he's like, let's go. Let's just leave. Just as I am, let's, let's, let's get out of here. And he's spent and tired and he's ready to leave with whatever he has. So they head out. They start going across the sea. But what could happen commonly on the Sea of Galilee is that an afternoon storm descends upon the lake. The Sea of Galilee is is a basin area several hundred feet below sea level, but it's surrounded by mountain areas. And here's, here's a picture of the Sea of Galilee so you can just get a sense of its visual beauty and tranquility in that moment. If you've ever been to Lake Tahoe in Northern California, that I think is a similar sized lake and environment, even though it's at higher elevation. But what can happen is in the afternoons, the, the air will come down off the mountains and it will collide with the warmer air down at the sea's level. And in those collision of the cooler air and the hotter air, these rapid storms can develop and occur just in an instantaneous moment. And there are storms that have great wind to them and they can be violent, violent storms even, even to this day. So these first-century fishermen, they're professionals at this. And I'm sure that this storm was not the first one that they had ever experienced on on this lake. But this one turns out to be one unlike any other that they have experienced. In fact, the Greek word for this great windstorm that's here is a word that is also used to express uh, the winds of a hurricane. It's seriously fierce. I mean, these winds are blowing and raging against the boat Jesus is there, verse 37, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. This, this boat that these disciples are in, that Jesus are in, it's just, it's tossing to and fro on the waves, up and down, rising and lowering and, and water coming in. You might wonder what one of these boats looked like. In, in 1986, some archaeologists found a sunken boat just like this a few miles from the city of Capernaum on the, on the lake that they excavated out of the lake. Uh, it dates from probably around the first century or they're pretty close. It's 27 feet long, could easily hold 15 men. So you can get all your disciples in the boat. Jesus himself there, as, as fishermen, they're just heading across the lake. Here's a picture of the boat as it may look in a model scale. Where's Jesus on that boat? It's there. He's there. The text says that he's in the stern, at the back of the boat, asleep on the cushion, resting and at peace. But I mean, get this picture here: there's a serious storm. The waves are breaking in. The boat is taking on water. Everybody's panicking. They feel like it's about to sink. And Jesus is asleep. He's zonked out, taking a nap. Jesus is not playing Russell Crowe, master and commander, up telling the fishermen, here's what we're going to do, and here's how we're going to get out of this storm. He's resting, dead asleep, on the cushion. Now, here's where you and I have to consider who Jesus is, even when creation is in chaos. Jesus is not fretful. He's not anxious or overwhelmed by the storms and the chaos surrounding his life. Jesus isn't threatened or anxious when the circumstances seem to be out of control. He's able to be at rest when turmoil and chaos surround him. Jesus is the non-anxious presence in the midst of the boat. And you say, well, that's that's just so strange. How How does that help us when we're in our own chaos? Friends, that's exactly the kind of person The kind of presence we need in our own lives when things are in chaos. We need one who is not threatened by the winds and waves of turmoil of this life. We need one who is able to be calm and assured and at peace, to be able to stand and be with us and to be for us. And that's who Jesus is. There is nothing and there is no one in this world that can bring Jesus to anxious fear and worry. Even the great big storm that happens suddenly upon the lake doesn't throw him one bit. As the sovereign king of kings over all things, he knows all things. He is over all things. He is in control of all things. And don't make the mistake that some might about Jesus in this story. Jesus knew full well this storm was coming. He isn't surprised by it in the least. He knew it was coming, and he still commanded his disciples to get into the boat and cross the lake. He led them into that chaos and to that storm. I gonna say, wait, why? I mean, why would Jesus lead anybody into chaos and into storm? Why would he lead anybody into trial and affliction and anxiety? Why? Consider this, Jesus led them right into that storm for the very purpose of displaying His power and peace to to reveal His non-anxious heart for them. What storm in your life can Jesus not handle? What, What issue in your soul does He not have control and authority over? There is, catch this, there is nothing in all creation that Jesus does not have full authority and full power over. Not one singular thing that's how big and powerful and awesome he is, you can trust him. You can rely and depend on him. If he can encounter a storm that threatens his very life, with, and he encounters it with complete control and even stable rest, relaxed, asleep, resting in God his Father in the boat, be assured there's not anything that he can't handle in your life as well. Jesus remains calm and at peace in all the chaos of creation. That's how big, glorious, and good he is. But not only this, Jesus responds to our anxiety-ridden circumstances as he speaks with authority. And we say, okay, it's one thing for Jesus to be at calm and rest in the boat in the midst of the storm, you might think, well, the boat was just rocking gently, and you know, that could put anybody to sleep. But this is turmoil. This is chaos. And, and if it's you or me, then we probably would not be real excited that the guy who claims to have supremacy over all things is napping while we're about to drown. I mean, we would be like the disciples, if we're just honest. If we would be like the disciples, and we would perceive Jesus' calm as apathy and indifference. You, you might be a little bit annoyed by Jesus, maybe even beyond annoyed with him. And that's exactly how they perceive the situation. He, they, they think he doesn't care. He's napping away and we're dying here. And that's, and that's what they say to him, verse 38. He was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And so they woke him. I mean, just consider here. They had to violently shake him to wake him up. He was so deeply asleep. You'd think the boat churning and the water splashing in would rouse him in some way from his, from his slumber, but not at all. They had to go and like lay their hands on him and shake him and wake him up. Get up, Jesus. And they, and they say to him, teacher, you hear that? They don't even, they're not even using terms of familiarity. They're just, teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? How imperceptive are you? How lacking concern are you? How indifferent to our situation are you? I know that when things are chaotic in our lives and when there's trial and difficulty and pain and suffering, we can be tempted to say to Jesus, don't you care? Friends, Jesus cares. He always does. He is not indifferent or apathetic to your need, to your chaos and to your turmoil. So again, don't make the mistake of confusing his patience, his his waiting, his calm and non-anxious presence in your chaos as indifference or a lack of care for you. Mark tells us that Jesus heard their cries for help and their questions, and he responded directly by speaking to the source of their chaos. Verse 39, he awoke, he gets up, and he rebukes the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. You ever been woken up from a nap, when you're in deep slumber? Somebody comes and wakes you up? What's your, what's your attitude when that happens, right? How you feeling at that moment? What in the world? Jesus speaks right to the sea and to the wind, And he rebukes the wind. He rebukes it. Wind, why are you in chaos right now? Who gave you the right to disturb my nap and put my friends in turmoil and chaos? What do you think you're doing? And I love to the sea that's churning and tossing water and about to take them down. He says two words. Quiet. Still. And the amazing thing is the wind stopped. And the seas quit rolling. Mark says there was great calm just at his word. He just says it, and it's so. One of the things I hope that this series has been just drilling and driving into your hearts is how important and how authoritative Jesus' word is. Over and over and over again, we've heard him talk about how his word is to be listened to and received with faith and obedience. We're to have hearts of good soil. The reason for that is because Jesus possesses ultimate authority and he displays his authority through his word. He speaks and he, he commands. It's authority that we as creatures do not possess. I mean, if I'm honest, I cannot go out in the middle of a windstorm and say to the wind, stop, enough, you're disrupting my life, and it just ceases. But Jesus does. And that, friends, is evidence of his care and his love for us. But too often we're like the disciples. Don't you care about us? Aren't you you concerned that we're perishing? My friend Steve helped illustrate it to me this way. You know, we're talking about this. He says, when when the trials and storms of issues of our life show up, we we often cry out to God and we say, where are you, God? Do you even care? But the problem is we go to God with a perception of Him as a little g, God, and the storm being a a capital S storm. We, We have our perspective skewed. And so the storm capital S storm, has more influence over our hearts and our peace than God Himself does. The anxieties that come along with the capital S storm often hijack our trust in the Father. They cause us to suspend our faith. They make us frantic. But friends, Jesus is the Lord over all creation. He he speaks, and it is so. The writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews 1.3, put it like this when he talked about Jesus. He said, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And, and catch this, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus upholds your very life, your very existence by his word. He, he holds every molecule and every atom in this universe in its place at his, at his decree what he says, he gives you life and breath and sustains you by his very word. So, so when we're in the chaos of creation and there are storms all around us, what, what should we do? If Jesus speaks with authority, and that's how he rules and reigns over creation, then we should anchor our hearts in his love and care for us in his promises. P- Peter puts it this way it's like in 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4, he says that Jesus' divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His very precious and great promises. So so lay your life on Jesus and His promises for you. Mine out the promises of God in the Scripture that stand and allow them to anchor your hearts when you are in the storms of creation's chaos. Promises like Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave you or forsake you. Drill that into your heart. Promises like Romans 8.28, for those who love God, all things work together for good. Promises like Romans 10.13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Promises like Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He'll get you home. I mean these are, these are the promises to just anchor our lives on. They are the word of Christ over our anxious, chaotic situations and they are evidences of his love for us. So again, listen to, pay attention to, take in, memorize Build around your heart and in your life the promises of Christ, His Word, because that's how He responds to our anxiety-ridden circumstances, with peace and calm and with His authority as He's spoken through His Word. And He responds as He challenges us, lastly, to live in fearless faith. Now here's the big question about the disciples' hearts and their situations, right? Why the storm? why the storm at all? Why do that to your friends and fellow disciples? Why, why drag them through that situation? The song that we're going to sing just a little bit later this morning in the service is, is a familiar hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. But I'm not sure if you're aware of the background and the story of that particular hymn. It wasn't just written in a nice, happy situation where the writer was, you know, on a, on a mountainside, in a meadow, just at peace and tranquility, and he's just saying it as well with my soul. The writer that hymn, Horatio Spafford, had just experienced some of the most tremendous loss that any human being can have experienced. Earlier in the year, he had lost his son to uh, influenza and to a significant illness. Uh, His young son, he was a businessman in Chicago, and then the city burned down in the great Chicago fire, and as a businessman, he lost a tremendous amount of his wealth and influence there in the city, being so overcome with with sadness and and just brokenheartedness. They heard that... uh, Pastor D.L. Moody was preaching in England, and being in Chicago and knowing that he was from Chicago, that he wanted to send his wife and four daughters and himself over to England to hear Moody and to join him in the uh, preaching revivals that Moody was a part of. So he sent his wife and his four daughters ahead of him while he had some business to conduct in Chicago, and he sent them on ahead across the Atlantic Ocean. And as the boat with his wife and four daughters crossed the Atlantic, it came upon an iceberg, hit it, and sunk. And his four daughters were killed, drowned in the sea. His wife somehow miraculously was saved when she got to England. and Wales, she telegraphed across the ocean and said, saved alone. And Spafford quickly got on a boat himself and headed across the Atlantic to be with his grieving wife, having lost all of his children. And as they came across the spot where the boat with his wife and daughters had sunk, the captain of the boat slowed down the boat and... and brought Spafford up to the bridge and he said, this is it. This is where this, the wreckage happened. This is where they sunk. And Spafford went back to his cabin and wrote the words, it is well with my soul, what we'll sing in just a few moments, reflecting on his loss and yet on the majesty and the grace of God. Why, why does Jesus bring us through these storms? Why does he take his disciples through the storms? I think the answer is what, in what Jesus accomplished in their lives. Would we have any comprehension of Jesus' identity and power in any other way? Would would Jesus' disciples, would we ourselves realize our desperate need apart from Him and His grace in that moment? That's the question that Jesus turns to them with. He says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? He's basically asking them, who do you believe me to be? And that's their issue. They're stunned, they're unsettled, they're they're no longer in the storm physically, but at Jesus and his authority, they are they are churning inside. They asked themselves, verse 41. They were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, Who is this then that even the wind and the sea obey him? Their fear and astonishment, it's still there. But this time it's directed toward Jesus. How do we recognize how this story ends, not with great calm, not with everybody singing kumbaya and walking away, just feeling good about themselves. The story ends with a great question. There's a reversal. You can see it just in the word great that's used throughout this passage. In verse 37, there's a great windstorm. The sea was agitated. But then Jesus speaks, and there's a great calm, verse 39, that comes upon them. But the disciples' hearts, are not at calm, not at peace, but they were disturbed with a great fear, verse 41, asking, who is this man? Friends, until you answer that question, your heart and your life will be unsettled. And this is where we're challenged to grow in our faith in Jesus, to live in fearless faith towards him, You see, we may want all the answers. We may demand that God inform us of why everything happens in our lives the way it does. We may want to know why God allowed this trial or that adversity or this storm to happen in our lives. God's not obligated to answer all our questions or our demands. If anything, he asks us to answer the question, who is he? And to live in faith in his perfect power, love, and authority. Really, the question is, what are we believing about Jesus when we experience the chaos of creation? Are we living in faith when chaos surrounds us? Are we depending and trusting on him? You see, this is where I want us to see Jesus and to perceive him with our hearts by faith this morning. In his own storm, when his creatures, the people that he had made, the ones he had created, rebelled against him, And sought to end his life, Jesus remained calm and trusted his father. In the garden where his disciples are about to deny him, betray him, and run away from him, he's able to pray and express to his father, not my will but yours be done. Jesus lived with perfect calm and peace. And he lived on the word of God and the promises of God in all of his life. He knew the promises of God, promises like Psalm 1610, where God says, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or you will not let your Holy One see corruption. Jesus knew that was God's will for him. And as he went to the cross, and he shed his blood, and he suffered and died, and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. He also knew the answer from the Father that's there in Psalm 22, God has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. God has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. Jesus knew his father's promises and his word, and he trusted and banked on them. And Jesus, in full faith in his father, he went through the suffering and affliction and storm, suffering and dying for our lack of faith, for our lack of trust in him, He died for our failures and disobedience and sin. And He was raised to life on the third day to secure salvation for everyone and anyone who puts their trust in Him. So the question the disciples raised is one that you and I must answer as well. Who then is this Jesus? The one who even the winds and the sea and all the chaos of creation obeys. Who is He? Friends, he is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. He is the king over all creation. You can trust him. You can depend on him. You can put your hope in him. He is the king. Let's pray. So Jesus, we ask that you would give us deeper and greater faith in you. That when we encounter chaos of, of this world, of, of our lives, of all the things that surround us, they I feel like great storms, that our hope and dependence would be upon you. Give us the grace to trust that you are, you are at peace, you are sovereign and in control. Help us to be anchored on your promises, to remember them, to lay hold of them, and to, to live by faith in your word give us grace that we would trust you with a fearless faith, knowing that you are the king over all things. We thank you for who you are. Fill our lives with more of your grace, we pray and ask in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together.